both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool Bizval Live or reaching out to us for a concierge offering where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to this episode of the Bizval podcast. I think it's going to be incredibly interesting. It once again has an international flavor. And if you've been listening to all the shows you would have picked up that we've been trying to speak to advisors and business owners and interesting people from pretty much all around the world, actually. We've done Europe recently, we've done the UK, we've done America. Um, if anyone in Australia is listening, we need to chat to you too. But uh, today we go north again, and Hugh Stafford-Smith, I think you've got a lot of really cool insights to share. We were talking now before we switched on the recording, and we worked out that you've been selling for longer than I've been alive, which is quite extraordinary. Not to make you feel old, but rather to make you feel experienced, which is exactly what you are. So, Hugh, thank you so much for doing this with us and for sharing your insights with the Bizval audience. Uh, I think everyone will really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm really pleased to be here and uh, thank you for the uh, introduction. I, th I think the, the experience phrase is, is a good place to be. As you can see, I've got absolutely no hair on the top of my head because that's because I keep rubbing it when I'm thinking and I do a lot of thinking. There we go. Thinking fast and slow, in fact, one of your favorite books, which we'll talk about just now or the concept in there. But I think before we get anywhere near that, it'll be great for people to understand a little bit more about you. And obviously, a big proportion of our audience is still South African. The founders of Bizval are South African. And you have some really interesting links to Africa. You've spent a lot of time here, not just in your younger years, but also during your career from a sales perspective. Uh, you've got some really cool African art on the wall behind you in the room that you're currently sitting in. So I'm going to hand over to you to just give us a few minutes of background in terms of, you know, what is the link to Africa for you and just some of the interesting life experience and travel experience I think you've had, which definitely adds to your ability to do what you do today. Thank you for that. Um, so my, my contact uh, or context of, of Africa is my father worked as a sales director at uh, British American Tobacco and his first posting was in uh, Nigeria. Uh, so I lived in Nigeria, uh, Liberia, Uganda, and Zambia, and to name just a few, and grew up in Africa as a young man. And there's the old phrase that you can take a man out of Africa, but you can't take Africa out of a man. And I'm a strong believer in that. Um, I also have connections through Africa through my grandfather, who was in Uganda from 1922 through to 1956 as a district commissioner. My mother was born in, in Kampala. Uh, I have worked in Africa for 25, 30 years um, and have thoroughly enjoyed and still enjoy working uh, in Africa because the, the countries, the uh, people, they are just amazing. And, and I think they are the, some of the most resilient people in the world. And the, their enthusiasm for new ideas, new thinking just keeps on making me come back on a regular basis. And I'm still working uh, with people in, in South Africa, specifically uh, in, in, in the Cape Town region and looking to add value to their business. So let's talk about that current ecosystem that you are managing. And it is very interesting. There's a consulting business, there's a bit of a, I suppose, an approach to how you help entrepreneurs that you've rolled out. You have a number of clients who you 
work with. Uh, there's a Zulu word that's very much made it into your life. So I think let's move on to that and just understand a little bit about your ecosystem in terms of what you actually do. And then we can jump into, you know, some of the questions I've got that might be useful to the founders listening to the show. Okay. So um, my first real job uh, in, commo in the commercial world was that of a salesman. And I've been selling all of my life. Uh, I've had the pleasure and privilege of working with people throughout Europe, Middle East and Africa. I've done the climb up the greasy pole through uh, being a salesman, sales manager, sales director, managing director of, of, of a business. My territory in those days was Moscow to Lisbon, Cape Town to Oslo, uh, with a couple of hundred people uh, engaged in the world of sales and selling. And so my passion is really about understanding the complex sale. And a complex sale is not what you sell, it's not tied to technology, it's about the number of moving parts within the buying cycle. And then being able to map your sales cycle to that buying cycle and get yourself into a position where you have a customer who's got a problem and there you are helping them solve it. That's the key to my world. Having done and been involved in the sales and selling side for, for quite some time, I came out of the world of corporate and have been consulting since 2008. Uh, so I run my own business. It's called Saba Consulting. Again, an Africa connection. Saba, a Swahili word. So what I do today is I work with businesses to better understand how they can build sustainable innovation into their world. So that's about understanding how to engage with the client, understand what that client experience is. But my inspiration for this kind of piece and this kind of thinking comes from a gentleman by the name of Dr. Daniel Kahneman, who is an economics professor, and he's written two really seminal books in my view. The first being Thinking Fast and Slow, and the second one recently released called Noise. Thinking fast and slow is about understanding how we as business people think. And we spend a lot of time doing what he calls fast thinking. He's termed that as systems one thinking. In essence, that's in essence what he calls intuitive thinking, gut thinking. However, in his research, his research shows that if you only do fast thinking, you're more often wrong than you are right. But it is the inspiration for the idea. That's where fast thinking comes from. So what he talks about is, is linking into that conversation slow thinking. And slow thinking is about having a hypothesis, the idea, and then understanding how that idea might work for you by gathering the evidence that builds the case, or as I like to call it, the argument for why you should be doing what you're doing and therefore what you need and who you need to make that idea successful. That's a really key piece. And what I've done with that a piece of thinking is then linked it into uh, a piece of a framework, which is called VUCA. Uh, and VUCA comes from, a, as, 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 uh, as Ghost has called it, it's a Zulu word. And as you know, it means to uh, uh, stir into action uh, and, and, and to awaken those ideas. Now, originally when Heather Fraser, who is the person who is responsible for the VUCA um, framework, etc., she was talking about VUCA with a C, which is a, a management methodology which focuses on volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And it's been used by the American military, it's been used as a, as a management tool for a while. 
I personally am, aren't particularly enamoured of it because any any VUCA with a C project that fails can, can claim that it's fallen over because it was volatile, it was uncertainty, it was complexity. Whereas the thinking framework that you deliver has got to give you that certainty. It's got to help you manage the risk. And that's what VUCA with a K does. It's a thinking framework and it's based around two core principles, business design and then creating the argument for and working through creating experiments and looking at the core components of what that idea needs to make it live and breathe. So Hugh, I think let's move on to understanding, you know, what this really means in practical terms for a founder who you might work with, for example. So if I have a look at the VUCA websites, I see the concept of business design comes up a lot, which I think is something very interesting. You talk a lot about, you know, entering markets and that kind of stuff. And I do want to get to that. But where I want to just start is this concept of business design, because it seems to sit relatively at the heart of what you're doing in VUCA. So in practical terms, you know, a founder comes to you, like what problem do they have? And you know, what are some of the things that you do to kind of help them solve it, just so people can understand that? The, the key question that we always ask when we're talking about to, to founders and, and, and also to startups or to grown-ups, so we, we can cover the spectrum in terms of the size and complexity of the business. The question is, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Now, in certain circumstances, that is about, I've got this great idea, I want to take it to market. And the question then is, Okay, so where's the evidence that the idea is going to work for you? And that's in essence what VUCA will help you do from the framework perspective. The joy of the framework is, is that there is an application which has been created, which actually allows you then to utilize the framework in your own time and in your own way, so that you can then go and answer those questions that you are trying to understand. So what's the idea? Why is it different? Well, who's the team that's going to be able to take this to market? Where is the market? And what does that current experience for the, for the end user, for the customer, the ultimate customer look like? And what can you do to improve that conversation and to improve their, their experience? So business design is all about creating businesses that we look from the human's perspective and look from the lenses that are important for those organizations to be able to make a difference. Great ideas are not necessarily unique. Great ideas can be, there's a germ of an idea already out there in the market. So what is it that I can do to ensure that that idea, that experience for the customer is that much greater, that much better, because that's the differentiator. In today's world, there are so many people out there with ideas. They're looking for things to do differently. And if you've ever read a book called Funky Business, Funky Business talks about the drive to the bottom. It's about similar people doing similar things in similar ways, in similar markets, with similar pricing. So how do you differentiate yourself from those people? Well, business design's view of the world is look at the ultimate end user. Think about the experience that they have today and how do you improve it? So it's always human-centered. That's what design thinking is all about. So if you look at the Nikes, if you look at the Apples, they're looking at that end user experience and, and improving upon it. 
What we're doing is looking at that from a business perspective and how you engage with those people and then add the business matrix into those. The argument, where are those customers? Who are they? How many of them are there? What are you going to improve? And therefore, from a business perspective, what that gives you is an understanding of the capabilities you need to deploy in the market. People, product, supply chain, marketing, all of those key things that are important to you, how are you going to deliver that so you get your message across to the right people in the right way in the right place? And that's the same for any business, whether it be a startup, whether it be an SME who's looking to go somewhere different or do something different with product, or a large corporate. A large corporate's got lots of money, but they are limited in terms of their budget. So how do they choose which projects to deal with? Well, VUCA is one of those ways that they can do that. And it's about embedding this conversation around sustainable innovation, the nirvana for every business. How do I keep improving what I'm doing on a constant, regular basis? That's super interesting. And I think that innovation is a word that people don't really understand. I think that means sitting in a skunkworks type environment and coming up with the next truly extraordinary idea that no one has ever seen before. And I think, to your point, there are a ton of ideas out there. Very, very few, if any, are truly original and novel anymore. A lot of it just comes down to execution, right? And I guess just understanding what you are good at and what you should be doing. The way I think about it is, you know, if you think of it as a Venn diagram, it's kind of like, what are your skills and what is the intersection of that? It's why I started the finance ghost is because I didn't really know many people who could write and properly understand the numbers and what listed companies are talking about when they talk about transactions or their results. And kind of at the center of that is what I started in the finance ghost. Um, I think Biswell, we also took a relatively similar approach, even if it wasn't formally written down, it was kind of like, okay, you know, what can we build that we don't think anyone else we know can necessarily build? And it's a little bit like that, right? Innovation is those, those sort of little steps at the margins to differentiate yourself over time. People think it's one big jump, but it's a lot of small steps, isn't it? It, it, it is. And, and, and the greatest exponent of that particular conversation is a gentleman by the name of Dave Brailsford. Dave Brailsford was the chef de mission for the UK cycling teams in the early 2000s. And Dave's view of the world was is that if you could give him an extra 1% of improvement in terms of speed and productivity in terms of his athletes, that all amounted up to 5% or 10% improvement. So for him, it was about those little steps. Dave, Dave is probably best known for his, his quip at the 2012 Olympics where he was asked what his secret was and he said around the wheels. And that sent off all of the other teams around the world looking for this conversation about round the wheels. Now he was joking, but he was it was actually sort of very pertinent because it's about looking at the detail. It's about understanding that detail and recognizing where you can make those improvements. So the word sustainable is absolutely key when you apply it with innovation. And innovation should always be spelled with a small i, because as you say, it's not the big stuff. It's about adding the, to that, that, that lexicon of your capabilities, which then takes you into a different level and into a different sphere. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's so interesting. And, and something I want to touch on, conscious of time as well. I mean, your LinkedIn, uh, you talk about startups, I think a term that everyone is familiar with. Then you talk about stay-ups, which is not necessarily a term that I've heard before. And I wanted to touch on that and understand, you know, what these businesses are and do they have 
a different set of challenges facing them than a startup, for example, or a mature business. Yeah. So again, I, I'm a huge fan of a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Moore. And Jeffrey Moore was writing in sort of the late 70s, early 80s. And he, again, two seminal books from him. One is, depending upon where you find it, sort of in the States, it's called In, in the Tornado. In the, UK, in, in, in the rest of the world, it's called In, in, in the Whirlwind. But in essence, he was talking about the entrepreneurial spirit and how entrepreneurs create businesses and what they do to those businesses. His second book is called Crossing the Chasm. So that's where businesses grow up. So they're no longer looking to be completely agile, focused on building new products and into, into that new market. So Crossing the Chasm is about creating a business that becomes those stand-up organizations. Another terminology, piece of terminology for them is SMEs. And SMEs always have this problem, going back to the old conversation around innovation. So where they've done, got their first success, they've got revenue, they're looking to grow. And that growth conversation is around probably two core places, or two core things. One is where next, so geography-based, all right, or maybe different sectors, different segment, or what next? So what's the next product going to come off the line? And so from the, the sustainable innovation conversation, it's not just about taking that entrepreneurial spirit and creating a new business, but it's about defining process and understanding what you need in terms of where you're going to next, what the challenges are. Because in our world, we are fixated with this conversation called growth. And there's nothing wrong with growth so long as it's done and planned properly. So from a VUCA perspective, the problem I'm trying to solve is where next, what next? And how do I take an idea or which of the ideas that I have is going to give me the better return? Because you're never going to do anything in the business world unless you understand where your return on your assets are going to be, what, it, it, what the implications are in terms of the finance, money in, money out, in terms of does it give you a competitive edge? So all of those kind of things, those elements of value that you're looking to build into your business, that's what you're thinking about when you're in that startup or stand-up mode. You know, what I like about it is it's a very analytical approach. So it's very much this matrix overlay of opportunities and every resource is finite, right? Especially people's time. There is no way to create more time. We haven't figured that out just yet. So, you know, even if you can scale and you can get other people into your business, in reality, the entrepreneur only has 24 hours in a day. And uh, as someone who has been very close to burnout myself, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have experienced that at some point, you realize that of those 24 hours, you can't actually use as many of them as you'd like to for a very extended period of time, no matter how hard you try. That has serious impacts in the end. So it's finite resources, right? Yeah, it, it is finite resource. Uh, and, and finite resources are, are all over the place. I mean, you've got to make time for your family. You've got to make time for, for you. You've got to make time for other people. Um, because at the end of the day, a, a business is kind of interesting. Yes, there's got to be a lot of analytics in it. But actually, it's the people that make that business. And it's the people that have, have the passion. And, and, you know, analytics is really important, but passion is just as important. It's about how you mix and match the two. If you don't have a passion, don't become an entrepreneur. If you don't have a passion, remember that, you know, you, what, where, where, what your drivers are, what is important to you as an individual, and then find people who, who, who are like-minded or who can complement 
what you do and how you do things. Yeah, when your business starts to feel like your old corporate job, something's going horribly wrong for you, I think is kind of my theory around this. It needs to feel like something you're passionate about, definitely. And, and what's been my experience just, you know, in terms of finite resources and time is, is very much its mindset. If you resign yourself to a world of like, okay, I just work all the time, then you won't find clever ways to stop working all the time. And it's easier said than done. And I think in the beginning, you have almost no choice. But at some point, you realize actually you can make some basic changes that actually make a huge difference. So personally, I'm involved in three startups. You know, Bizval is one of the three. And that's difficult. You know, you have to then say, okay, this is time that's set aside specifically. You know, I've gotten quite good at compartmentalizing and creating that that bucket of time for like a full focus sprint at whatever it is I'm doing and then taking the time away to say, okay, now I'm going to gym. You know, I know there's a lot I should be doing, but at some point you've got to make that time and, and, and it's allocation of resources, I guess is the point. And it's no different in a business. You can only allocate so much. So choose the right projects. How do you do that? You take an analytical approach. What are you good at? What do you enjoy? What should you be doing? And then I guess the next point is, okay, what tactics do you use? I mean, that is strategy at the end of the day. People make it sound so much fancier than it is, and it's difficult to implement, but it's just objective analytical thinking and clarity. Like that's where people get it wrong, I think. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if there's, a, if there's one thing I look for with the organizations I work, and that is clarity of thinking. If you don't think and don't look at things with more than one lens, so in the world of complex selling, for example, if you have four or five different people in, in that buying cycle that you've got to work with, you not only need to understand what, what drives them today in terms of the job they're doing, but where they want to go to for tomorrow. And just as important, what is it in their personal lives that they're working towards and why, are that, why is that interesting? So if they've got a young family, it's getting home, being able to get involved in, in that young family. If it's a, a sport, golf, rugby, whatever the heck it is, you need the time to be able to deliver that. And again, from my perspective, it, work is, is a very interesting word to use because it mean, for, for a lot of people, it's about focus in a job. But in fact, actually, for me, work is not that. Work is about understanding and working with the people that you're working with and better understand how you can spark off each other, how you can combine your skills and your talents together. And so working it shouldn't be a drudge because actually what it is, it's about people. And if you work with people, if you understand people, if you enjoy working with people, then work is just another one of those core experiences that you, you have as you go through your life. Um, so I get, get asked on a regular basis, I mean, you made the quip that I've been selling longer than you've been alive. Well, am I ever going to give up? No, I'm not, because I have so many other things that I want to do, whether it's the, the, the people that I work with in the, in the, cha in the two charities that I, I work with, the young people that I work, come across when I'm talking to, to schools, people like yourselves, uh, all over the world. There are people that I enjoy interacting with, so I'm never going to give it up. I hope to hell I don't. Because I think I would be one very bored individual at the end of the day. Uh, um, by the way, my wife better not listen to this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'll have to just uh, not tell her about this podcast then, Hugh. That, that, that one's on you. We can't control that. <laughs> but I think that's an important point. You know, it's a real blessing to be able to do something you aren't desperate to retire from. And I think that's one of the, the pros of 
I suppose working for yourself and working on interesting things is you can build a life where you're not sitting there watching the clock desperate for 5 p.m. and looking so forward to the day you turn 60 or 63 or 65, whatever it is, and now I can retire and you know do what exactly. I think one of the most important things as an entrepreneur is you get to escape that life if you get it right. It's, it's more about that for me than it is about the money and everything else. It's very much about actually just enjoying every element of your life. And that's why people struggle so much with work-life balance, right? It's because their business is their life as well. They don't have that clear boundary in the same way that their families will often see it or their friends who don't necessarily understand this. And, and that actually kind of drags you back into reality of, okay, you know, you do need to somehow have some boundaries in place here because otherwise you get yourself into potentially a lot of trouble. I think he's absolutely right. But I think it's also really very important from your own mental health perspective. Uh, and mental health is something that we talk about and my generation are just beginning to understand why it is important. Um, primarily because we get beaten over the head by our, 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 uh, our young about, about why it is important and get a, a better understanding from it. And I think, you know, that, that is really very much, imp very key to being able to be successful. It's the ability to be able to step back and look at different things in different ways. And if all you're focused on is an end goal, you know, go and take that hill over there or go and do this and go and do that. And then that's success. Once you get there, you tend to find, hmm, maybe not. Maybe I've worked all this time just to hit that hill or just to do this or just to do that. And by the time you finish, you're sitting there going, well, why? What, what have I actually achieved apart from taking that hill? But if you've experienced so many different people, so many different cultures, you've enjoyed the conversations with the people that you're talking to, those you can store. Those are things that you can work, go back to. Those are things that you can have with people that are, A, intangible, but also it's that bond. It's building that bond and building the people in the community that you work in. And, and for me, it's about building that community, building that ecosystem. And, and that's the piece that gives me most joy. Yeah, I can fully, fully understand that. So just conscious of needing to bring this to a close in the next few minutes, I want to actually skip to my last question because I think it's an interesting one. So the first one is what is the biggest mistake that you think entrepreneurs make? And then secondly, what is the most common mistake? And obviously that's a nuanced question because those two things are not necessarily the same thing. So biggest mistake, i.e. most severe, and then most common mistake. Okay, um, so I'm going to fall back on statistics um, because I think this is a, a key way of looking at it. If you look at the UK's database and, and, and some of the analytics that are drawn out, there is a horrendous number which basically says 70% of all new businesses fail within the first three years. Of those failures, 60% of them fail because there is no need for their service or their product in the marketplace. And 40% of those fail because they run out of cash. Now, the, that's no marketplace and the cash piece are intrinsically linked. But what it says to me is, is that the people who are, when they're starting their business, have got the passion, understand where they want to go to, and are so focused on that one core piece of thinking that they fail to open their eyes, take the blinkers off, and go out and experiment and test. So the one thing that people fail to do 
test your idea in the real world. And if you don't test it in a logical way, in a structured way, and get the feedback and use that feedback to adapt your idea, then you stand a significant chance of failure. So, biggest mistake, they don't test the idea properly. They don't think it through properly. All right? So, for me, that's the most common mistake. But it's also, that leads to the biggest mistake. Think think, experiment, go back and think. Thinking is the best thing in the world you can do. I, every day, walk my dog first thing in the morning. It's my golden hour. It's the time when I'm allowed to think about what I'm gonna do during the day. It gives me the opportunity to think about what I'm gonna say and how I'm gonna say it with people. It gives me the opportunity to think about my day. But also remember that if you're in business, if you do not put aside enough time to do that strategic thinking, which is where are we going to? How do we get there? What do we need? Where are we getting to do it? What are we going to do? You'll fail. So you've got to do two types of thinking. That fast thinking, passion, think about what you're doing on a regular basis for you. But as a business, you've got to sit down as a team and think. That's brilliant. And my, my closing comment would be my experience in this journey, which is about three years now, is if you try and assess your day through the lens of your old corporate life, you'll think you've lost your mind because your old corporate life was you must be at your desk at eight and you must leave at five, often later, let's be honest, and you need to be busy the whole day and you have a lunch break and it's a little bit of a defined thing and then suddenly you must be productive straight thereafter. And it's, it's, it's not how most people actually want to work. If you are creative, I think it's a complete non-starter. And so you get to the point where, or I've certainly gotten to the point where you just have to listen to your body. You know, sometimes there's a burst of energy to work between 10 p.m. and midnight. Some mornings, I mean, yesterday was particularly bad. The previous day was crazy for me. And uh, yesterday, my cats gave up on me before I even got out of bed. When your cat gets out of bed before you do, you need to ask yourself some serious questions. Uh, you know, of course, they're walking downstairs to just come sleep some more, whereas I was coming downstairs to work. But the point is, maybe a year or two ago, I would have thought, oh, geez, my day is only starting at 9.30. Like, what am I doing with my life? But actually, that's what I needed that morning. And, and that's where the mental health comes into it. And that's where listening to your body and making sure you're exercising, going on walks. And something I love to do sometimes is just take my laptop to a restaurant. You know, just go and work there for an hour and a half. Why not? Just give yourself a change of scenery. Just do something different. So, yeah, I think those are all very, very cool pieces of advice for entrepreneurs. It's just don't beat yourself up about having this unusual life like you've created this for yourself you need to embrace it use it for its advantages and give yourself time to think time to have peaks and troughs times to have good times and bad times and fun times and family times and exercise times and proper strategic thinking because that's that's the key to innovating in a business and not getting into a rut uh, and, and, and remember yes as an entrepreneur you think yourself alone but you're not you're working with other people and remember to share with other people because their insights, their understanding, their empathy can help you on your journey just as you can help them. So the, the world of the entrepreneur being a lonely place, nonsense. It's only a nonsense if you are not working with other people and, and, and working collaboratively with other people. And that's really the key to this. It's about working in collaboration. You're not on your own work with those people, ask them for help. It's the one thing I learned very late in life. You know, I was always self-contained, I could do it myself. 
Asking for people's help is the best piece of advice I can give you. Because there are lots of people out there who will give it and they will give it for free. It's been a really great show. I know people can find you on LinkedIn if they want to connect. You'd be looking for Hugh Stafford-Smith. And Hugh, I just want to say thanks, really. I think you've shared some great insights. It's been lovely to meet you. And uh, I'm sure we will chat again. Thank you very much indeed, Ghost. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation.